Good to see you all. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are here. How's it going? My name's Kyle. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at H2O. Um, one of my kind of roles over the next year or so is to prepare this church to send out a new collegiate-focused church plant to the University of Buffalo. <laughs> Go Bulls, that's right. And so um, kind of one of my goals is that every time I get up here, I really just want to continue to lay that before you guys um, and, and keep that in front of our church. And so I'm, I'm going to share a little bit really about why uh, I'm excited about Buffalo, planting a church at the University of Buffalo. For the past two or three years, we kind of went through a long process of, of really trying to decide where we should send our first uh, church plant to. Uh, we first started looking at other universities, and we found a few places that we could plant at, but the need was maybe just not at, uh, very clear at some of those places. Maybe there was a lot of good ministry going on there already, or uh, there was another reason maybe why we would decide not to plant there ourselves. Uh, and so, um, in addition to that, we kind of, when we first started looking, it seemed like our church might not be ready yet to send out a team, um, and, and so we just decided to continue to build our team here so that we could send uh, well, and eventually we took some time to consider the university at Buffalo. It's a university, there's a number of reasons why we had interest in that. Uh, first, it's a university that's reasonably near the rest of the H2O Church network. The closest H2O Church is about three hours from there, so that was kind of exciting to us. It's in a city where some of our non-staff members could get jobs if they wanted to come along with us. It's uh, was a campus that didn't have a ton of good ministry going on. There's no campus church or anything like that. A lot of international students there, which is something that was exciting to a lot of our team members as well. Just we, we love the idea of talking to international students about Jesus, people that may not have uh, a lot of opportunity to hear about him otherwise. And so that was a big thing that was exciting for us. We were also starting to be excited about what summers could look like there. The University of Buffalo didn't have or doesn't have like a co-op program the same way UC does. And so students have more of their summers free, uh, which of course is a positive and a negative, but for us, we can use it as a positive. And we just started to get excited about the possibility of sending more students overseas over the summer or to things like LT. We really believe that that could be a great way for us to invest in the nations is by sending students overseas um, into some of these unreached places. And so uh, that was exciting to us. We also started to think about planting a new college church, and it made sense to us that we should be going maybe towards the, the northeast of the United States, where there's less, uh, it's a less churched region and much more kind of postmodern region, um, less religious, and also a lot of more international schools up there. So that was another big thing for us as well. And so we just started to become hopeful that planting in Buffalo would be a first step towards planting more collegiate-focused churches all over New York and in the New England states. And so um, we really got excited about that as well. And so we want people to come. We want people to help us plant and reach the campus. And we want to prepare some of those people to go and, and, and plant again later on down the road all over the Northeast. And so that's a little bit of the vision that we have for H2O Buffalo. Uh, why am I sharing that with you? Many of you may, may be like, well, uh, that's not super relevant to me. I'm not going to go to Buffalo. But the reality is that I, I hope that this is relevant to everybody in this room. And here's why. Um, while I consider... I hope that some of you will consider joining us uh, in Buffalo. I, I hope that some of you will consider moving with us either at the start of the church plant in 2022 or years down the road in the second or third wave. I know that not everybody's going to do that. So some ways that you can participate in this. First, I, I just pray that you're going to consider 
uh, uh, prayerfully what you're going to do when you graduate, how you can lay your plans at the feet of the Lord. I hope that there are other church planting opportunities for you or really just that you will consider uh, where you can get a job that is the most kingdom-minded, right? Where you can, can get a job and look to extend God's kingdom. What would it look like for you to consider that? I also hope that many of you will step up into leadership positions in the wake of, you know, the team that we're sending. We would love for more and more people to, to get uh, really invested and dig their roots in deep to extend the gospel here at this campus. There will also be trips, like the spring break trip, that will certainly, <laughs> that's right, Christiana, uh, like the spring break trips that will, will help us in the early years of our plant. We hope that there will be many more trips like that where this church can really partner together with the church at H2O Buffalo. And really, I think I just hope more than anything is, again, that you guys would just catch a vision for living your lives completely open-handed for God. Um, uh, there's, there's a quote that I really like from a pastor. His name is J.D. Greer, and he always says, uh, to put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. And, and I love that. I love that idea. So there's the pitch. So uh, if you've been with us this semester, we are in Romans. Uh, last week, John preached through Romans 7. And in Romans 7, we see two main threads. First, we see that Paul is explaining what the law is and why it's necessary. And second, the second thread is that our inability to keep God's law on our own should really drive us to the feet of Christ, okay? Now, when Paul refers to the law in Romans, most often he's referring to kind of the moral code, right? This idea of right and wrong, our understanding of that. Um, earlier in Romans, Paul kind of makes this case that all of us have some idea of that, that it's written on our hearts, that all of us know uh, intrinsically because of the way that God has created us uh, what's right and what's wrong. And so in chapter 7, we see Paul explaining that even though the law shows us our sinful nature, um, that, that, that it shows us uh, that we are evil and, and in need, it's still good. That the law sort of illuminates and reveals our condition, our sinful condition, but it does not create it, right? And so what we see in chapter 7 is that Paul, he notices this internal battle and struggle inside of him. Even after he became a Christian, he noticed this struggle, this battle that that. He, he noticed that he still was prone to, to falling into sin. And so he would say things like, man, I'm doing the things that I don't want to do, right? And, and in this, he's not excusing his sin. He's not saying, oh, like, it's okay, but he's just acknowledging that he's weak and that apart from God's grace and power that he's still prone to the desires of the flesh. This leads him to this really important question and statement that he shares um, in chapter 7, verses 24 through uh, the beginning of 8. He says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. And so he's essentially acknowledging his sinful nature, that he has the propensity to still sin, even though he's given his life to Jesus and, and he's really disturbed by this, right? And so he asks, what do I do, right? Well, what do I do with this? 
And his answer is that he thanks God because the grace given to us in Christ Jesus covers all sin, our, our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. And he explains how Jesus lived the perfect life for us and that those who have faith in him, there, there's no condemnation for those people. This reminds me a lot of what John says in 1 John 2. He says, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so this leads us to where we're at in Romans 8 today. So let's pray, and then we're going to dig into the main text. Lord, um, God, I just so desire that through your word you would speak to us. God, every time we meet together, I want you to speak to us. God, I want to leave this place uh, with a, a fresh uh, word from you, Lord, that we would hear from you and, and desire to respond. God, I pray that you'd speak through me and through your word. And God, we just want you to be here. Lord, let this be a worship to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Romans 8, verses 3 through 14. 3 through 13, sorry, to start. It says this. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if, it, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so Paul begins this kind of section by giving us the good news. He, he tells us that, hey, we, we couldn't obey the law on our own. We couldn't fulfill God's law, his moral law on our own. And yet Christ did, right? That, that Jesus was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, that he obeyed the law perfectly and paid for our sins so that we could know God, so that we could have a relationship with God. And then he goes on to talk about two specific mindsets. He talks about the mindset on the flesh and the mindset on the spirit. And generally, right, he's saying having the mindset on the flesh, not a good thing, Right? And he gives a lot of reasons why that is. He says that the mindset on the flesh leads to death. It's hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God. That those who have this kind of mindset can never please God. He says all of those things. And then he says the alternative, the mindset on the spirit, it leads to life and peace. It leads to righteousness. Now, in here there are a couple things going on. He's 
talking some just about who we are, like our identity, the idea that some people have the Spirit of God and others do not. But he's also giving an imperative in this passage to actively set our minds on the Spirit and not on the flesh. It's kind of a both-and situation. I, I was really trying to pick apart this section of Scripture and discern, like, okay, is he, is he really talking more about our identity, or is he trying to kind of tell us how to live? And, and the more I was kind of stewing on it, the more it seems like both, that he's doing both. He's telling us if they, that, that if we've not yet submitted our lives to Christ, we can never please God, right? We, we can't live righteously, even if we tried. We can't follow him. We can't have the same kind of life and peace that only comes from the Spirit. He, he talks about this as being, this is the mind that is set on the flesh. He's speaking to kind of a condition. For me, I, I often share about how before I met Christ, not only was I enslaved to my sin, but I, I, I didn't really care about it. I, I wasn't grieved by it. I didn't try to uproot it from my life. I, I didn't, it didn't bother me. I would even say that I bragged about it. My mind was set on the flesh. I was consumed with the things of the world and thought that the route to kind of whatever purpose or happiness that I could find in life was going to be found in the things of the world. Whatever the world told me, that, that a good career might provide that. A, a girlfriend might provide that. A crazy college experience might provide that. Any kind of indulgence where I thought I'd find that happiness and purpose, my mind was just, it was set on those things. It was set on the flesh, on the world. And he's also speaking to the other mindset, that once we submit our lives to Christ and have faith in him, we're given the spirit. Once we have the spirit, we're no longer slaves to our sin, and all of a sudden we can please God. That's not impossible for us anymore. Elsewhere, the scriptures tell us that we can only please God by our faith. Right? Because our works and good deeds can never earn our right standing with God. Only Christ can do that. That's why he came. And so for those of us that have faith in Jesus, now we are in the spirit. Like that's the condition that we're in. And so for me, again, I, I began in the mindset of the flesh. We really, we all did. And I noticed that when I gave my life to Jesus, all of a sudden the things that I started to care about changed. Right? I knew that only in Christ and in my relationship with him would I find life and life abundant. So I began to just bend my life around that. The things that I cared about started to change. I began to love people. I began to really love God. I began to ask God what he wanted me to do, right, on a daily basis. And also just with my life, like largely, I want, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I mean, even things like, the type of women I was interested in dating changed as a result of me uh, coming to know Christ. Like the, the criteria that I was looking for was so different after I became a Christian. These two identities, these two conditions, they, they cannot coexist. You cannot be one and the other. Either you are still enslaved to your sin or not. Either, either you've given your life to Jesus, you've submitted it to him, or you haven't. Right? That doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, you're perfect and that you can't struggle or anything like that. But what does it say? Verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, what? We are not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So it's not, it's not that we don't have the capability to sin. 
right? Paul just got done talking about that in chapter 7. Like, he's really frustrated and, and discouraged and even despairing over the, the reality that he certainly had the capability of sinning and struggling, but that we are no longer obligated to it. It doesn't own us, right? We're not enslaved to it. And what else? He says in verse 13, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is to say that if you're a Christian, if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, over the course of your life, throughout your Christian journey, you're going to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You're going to be actively trying to put to death the sin in your life, the things that lead you away from God. And you can't do that alone, right? It says specifically, how does it say this is done? By the Spirit, right? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And Paul is making this clear distinction, and and I really want us to see this here, because every single year, every year in our church, we see people... um, Really, we see uh, Christians come to know Christ. We see people that claim to be a Christian, but they realize that they aren't what they think they are. Um, and, and you know what might be the biggest red flag for those people when that happens? What might be the, the thing that really leads them into understanding that, hey, I might not be what I think I am? You know what that is? It's that they're living according to the flesh and they do not care, right? There's no indication at all that they care about the sin in their life. Again, I'm not saying that every, I don't want to cause genuine believers to despair, but the the reality is like if, if you don't care at all about the sin in your life, I really just want you to examine your heart. If there's no indication that you care about the sin in your life at all, that should be deeply concerning to you. Paul's saying that part of the process of following Jesus is that you are grieved by your sin and that you actively try to put it to death. And if there's no pattern of that at all in your life, I really think that you should be concerned. Because the inverse is true as well. If you are not grieved by your sin, if you're not interested in putting it to death, I really don't think you are what you, you think you are. I don't say this to, to shame you, right? I, I say this because I care about you and I love you, right? Like, I, I was that way too. I, I just spoke about that earlier. And honestly, if that's you, if you're somebody, I, I say that I'm a believer, but I don't know if that's really me when I examine my life. If that's you, I just want you to know that you're in good company <laughs> because there are a lot of people in this room that that was them. Matter of fact, I mean, raise your hand if you were somebody that said they were a Christian when you came to know Christ. (laughs) Okay, is that not crazy, first off? (laughs) And I can be confident, you know, asking that question because I've heard the stories, I I know it. And that tells me that there may be people in this very room just like that. There may be people in here that, that maybe you come to church, maybe you come to life group, Uh, Maybe if somebody asks you if you're a believer, you would say, yes, uh, you know, I'm a Christian. Maybe that's you. And yet, you haven't submitted your life to Jesus. 
your mind is still set on the flesh, on the world, and not on the spirit. And if that's you, if you're convicted by all of this, I just want you to know there's a reason for that. Like, don't let that conviction result in nothing. If you're convicted, I, I really just wonder if God is doing something in your heart. Paul talks about this a lot in, in the previous chapter, that man, like, without the conviction of sin, how do we turn to Christ? I mean, we need that. And so if that's you, would you just consider if today's the day that you should surrender your life to Jesus? We're going to celebrate later so many people that have crossed from death to life. And, and I'm just excited about that. I'm excited about celebrating with those people. And I'm excited about worshiping God in light of that. I just wonder if, if maybe that should be something that happens to you. If you would surrender your life to Jesus. He loves you more than you can imagine. You're designed to have a relationship with him. The scripture that we just read said that only those who have the mindset of the spirit can please God. Only those who have the mindset of the spirit can have life and peace. If that's you, would you, would you come and talk to me after service or talk to one of our staff or there's going to be a prayer team in the back? They would love to help you understand how you can begin that process, how you can place your life in the hands of Christ. Now, Paul talks about these sort of conditions we may fall into. Either you're a person whose mind is set on the flesh or you're a person whose mind is set on the spirit. However, I also think he's giving us a kind of imperative. He's trying to tell us that this is who we are. We're, we're God's children. We, are, we have God's spirit. And so we ought to set our minds on the spirit. The, the reason I know that he's telling us this is because in verse 12 he says, hey, we're not obligated to the flesh. That's as if to say, for, for those of us that are in the spirit, we don't have to act like we're in the flesh, right? We ought to act like we're in the spirit. We ought to set our minds on the spirit. He's challenging the Romans and us to not live as though we're enslaved, but to set our minds on the spirit and pursue him wholeheartedly. This is corroborated throughout the scriptures. We see this in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Right? Set our minds on the Spirit. Set our minds on the things of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, this is even more compelling in, in light of this. Don't stifle the Spirit. Some translations say don't quench the Spirit. That's, a, that's as if to say, if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, let him move you. Allow him to work in you, right? And so even if we're people that are in the spirit in the sense that that's our condition, we've given our lives to Christ, we still have a responsibility to follow him and to listen to him and to obey. And one thing, again, that just seems so clear to me from this passage is that we cannot simultaneously have our minds set on the spirit and have our minds set on the flesh, Paul is exhorting us to continually always be setting our minds on the spirit. But that means that we have to choose not to set our minds on the flesh. Not to set our minds on the things of the world. And so something I think that's really related to this, I just feel like the Lord really spoke this to me this past week. Um, and, you know, I, I really think that this is something that I would love for you guys to, to consider and leave here with. You have to say no to something to say yes to Jesus. You have to say no to something to say yes to Jesus. 
And I share this because I, I really think that sometimes we think that we're going to just naturally drift into godliness. Right? That, that being spirit-led is something that's going to happen to us. Or that some of us think that we can choose to do that maybe when it's going to be more convenient for us. Uh, maybe after I graduate, then I'll, I'll choose to follow God more when I'm less busy. Right? Or maybe next year when I, when I don't have as much classwork going on, maybe then I'll really start to pursue Jesus the way I know I ought to. Maybe next week. Maybe tomorrow. But I'm telling you, it is never convenient. It is never convenient. And to be honest, I really think that it's delusional to think that you're going to get less busy when you graduate. <laughs> There's just always going to be something pulling for your attention. There's always going to be something that you have to say no to in order to say yes to Christ, in order to have our minds set on him, in order to pursue him completely. This is true in the day-to-day, -day, and it's true in, in the larger scale kind of things, right? Like, if I want to spend good alone time with Jesus, I have to say no to something else, right? I've got to say no to the entertainment, I've got to say no to, to the work that I need to get done. Not that I'm going to put it off forever, but I've got to say no to that for a time. There is always going to be something begging for my attention. I've got to say no to all kinds of other things, good things even. Like ultimately, if I'm going to get that alone time that I know is so valuable, I have to say no to something. It's never going to be convenient. If I want to share the gospel more, I have to say no to my comfort. Right? If I want to have a spiritual conversation with that friend or family member to talk to them about Jesus, I have to say no to caring about what they think about me. It's not just in the small things. It's in the big, the big stuff too. If I want to say yes to wherever Jesus wants me to work, I might have to say no to my desires. I might have to say no to the bigger paycheck. If I want to say yes to going on a church plant, I have to say no to living near some of the best friends that I've ever had. If I want to say yes to whoever Jesus wants me to marry, I have to say no to the qualities that the world would say are the most important. Right? Do you see this trend? Following Jesus costs us something. It costs us something. We cannot set our minds on the spirit and the world at the same time. They're incompatible. You have to say no to something to say yes to Jesus. But, but hear me in this. As we set our minds on the Spirit, as, as we listen and obey, as we say no to the flesh, our intimacy with God abounds. All the more. Our joy in Christ abounds, and it far outweighs the cost. It far outweighs the thing that we have to say no to. It's worth it. It's worth it. So for you, what's one way that you can set your mind on the Spirit this week? Or even just, just what's one thing that you need to say no to so that you can say yes to Christ? What is that? I, I'm just hoping and I've been praying that, that God would really put his finger on something for each of you. That there would be something so clear to you that, man, like, Lord, I have not... <laughs> been saying yes to you in this.
I want to kind of close with this. This is the end of the, the passage kind of that we're looking at today. Romans 8, 14 through 17. It says this, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so Paul's trying to get us to live as people that have their minds set on the spirit, and then he says this, right? He points us to our identity, our identity as children of God. And if you've given your life over to Jesus, you are adopted into God's family. You know, some time ago, I got this tattoo on my wrist. I'm not going to show it to you because I hate when people sh- show me their tattoos if I didn't ask. Um, <laughs> but, but I got this tattoo on my wrist that says son. And the reason I got it was because I really believe, um, I really believe that I'm living the most like Jesus when I operate out of my identity as a son, right, as a child of God. Sometimes I get really wrapped up in, in, in just doing the right things for God, and I do them almost as if I'm still enslaved, right? Like I'm trying to earn God's favor or his love, but that's not the identity that we have now, right? God is our father if we've placed our, our, our lives in his hands. And, and Paul points us back to our identities as sons and daughters to remind us that that's not ki- the kind of relationship we have anymore, right? We don't have the, the slavery kind of relationship, but we have the, the fatherly familial kind of relationship. God is our father now, and so we're free to love him. Right? We're free to follow him and to set our minds on the spirit, to say yes to him. Christ was pierced to make us children. He was pierced to invite us into his family and to give us the inheritance of eternal life. And when I live like a son, when I live like a child, I'm living free. Not enslaved not trying to earn God's favor, not trying to live righteously so that he loves me. That, that love is freely given if you're a child. And when we view God more and more like a father, I really think the natural result is that we, we set our minds on the spirit, right? We say yes to him all the more and we do that because we love him. So let's pray. God, um, Lord, I just thank you I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for Romans 8, just that we can dig in. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be people that say yes to you all the more. People that, that really just strive to set our minds on you. God, people that strive to, to, to take our minds off the flesh, to say no to those things so that we can love you all the more. Lord, may we be a people that love you more today than we did yesterday. God, we just thank you so much for for who you are, how you love us. We thank you for loving us first, and, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.